Great. How many of you feel better already for coming this morning? So wonderful, eh? And I was just thinking of that, how merciful and grace, gracious God is towards us. You know, we, um, I don't know, we grew up and we thought that gathering together as the saints or as a church was a religious duty that we did for one hour a week and then we did our own thing and and um, in fact, uh, many years ago, it was a, if you wanted to get a better job or things like that, church was a good thing to go to. It's, things have changed a lot since then. But um, God has a different purpose for the gathering of the saints, and it is so important that we do that. And he says that in his word, and I just want to share this because I was thinking of this as I too was just receiving his love today, and it says this, um, uh, let us con- when we come together, let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. So part of meeting together is not just me preaching, but you reaching out to people in this community. So if we can love each other, then it's easier to love others out there. And he says this, and let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day appearing. And um, things are getting tough in the world. God's not surprised. He's in control. And we are His church, and we are the light of the world. And the Bible says that thick darkness will cover the whole earth, but the light of God will shine and the glory of the Lord Well, shine, it says, arise and shine, for the light has come. Jesus, the light of the world, we are the ones that carry us of that light. And we need to come together so that we can be encouraged. Because what happens often uh, when we drift away, it's not like a one event. It's like your anchor gets pulled up and you're in a boat and you're fast asleep. And um, slowly but surely the current takes you away. And you wake up and where the heck am I? And that's what happens in our walk with God. If it, the enemy is so subtle, sometimes it can be a major event that really um, got to us, and we can go back to that event, and it's way easier for us to latch it to that. But it's way more subtle because sometimes we don't really know. Jesus said in, in, in his word in Matthew 24, in the last days the love of many will grow cold. We've been speaking about love. And how that happens is when we're not connected to the vine, which we're going to be continue speaking on, but how that happens too is when we're not encouraged by each other and we let the things of the world take place of a measly two hours a week that God, that we've, he's, he's given the tools to do so that we can encourage one another. So um, it's not about attendance to me. It would be very sad if I was the only one here preaching to myself, because I preached to myself for a week. But it's so that you can be empowered and encouraged, and me, by each other's faith. And as the saints, we can hold each other's arms up and get to know each other. We were never, church was never meant to be a fellowship with the back of a person's head. You know, you, you, you come, you sit down, and all you see the back of the heads. 
It's a face-to-face relationship. It's a place to encourage one another. And that was for free. That's not my sermon, but uh, I threw it in there anyway. But last night, uh, Felicity sent me uh, a prophecy, and I want to put it up. And Felicity, can you please come up? And um, it will be up. You've got it there to, to share it. And I was very encouraged by it. It's going along a lot of where we're going as a church. So if you don't mind doing that. Our wonderful God loves us. It's so awesome. And um, I just felt that he wanted us to hear this word from him. About five years ago, um, he gave a word um, through me from Ezekiel 47. And so as I read this, some of the scripture that's quoted there is from Ezekiel 47. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just so that it makes a bit of sense because I've only put what I felt God was leading me to put. So um, I want to say, because this is what I feel God's saying for us as a church, Oceanside, for such a time as this, hear his word. Um, In Ezekiel 47, 12, it says, because the river flows from my sanctuary, because the Holy Spirit flows from God over us, um, he wanted to... Um, highlight that scripture to you. Mm. Um, And then I say, we give God all the glory as we thank and praise him for his goodness and his greatness that is seen and experienced in this church as he has brought people of all ages, stages, and walks of life to this body of believers. From infants in him to the mature, none greater or lesser than the other, all of us, his precious children, with a specific place and calling ordained by him. He says, Oceanside Church, I see the fruit trees of all kinds growing on both banks of the river, whose leaves do not wither and whose fruit does not fail. Because you have received the release of my fresh-flowing, ever-deepening, heart-gladdening, life-transforming river of life, because you've done that, The fruit is serving for food and the leaves for healing to many in this community, in Nanaimo and Canada and the nations of the world, as Mike and Debs and team travel. God wants us to know he loves this body of believers and is well pleased with us and sees our hunger and our thirst for more of him and wants us to know he is going to release more. He wants to pour out his anointing on each person for what he has appointed each one of you to do for such a time as this, that this body of believers would receive, release, and spread that which seems impossible to us, but is so possible to him. The Holy Spirit desires to blow his power into, through, and out of us to impact others to do immeasurably more than we hope or imagine for God and his kingdom. We need to position ourselves, Oceanside, um, that our hearts and minds would receive the fullness of the gift of the Holy Spirit into our spirits so that we will know him and can enjoy an intimate friendship with him. The Holy Spirit is our faithful, ever-present friend and counselor, who desires an intimate relationship with each one of us. 
He is the lover of our souls, who watches over us, guides us into all truth, speaking to us and revealing the truth of God's word to us and reminding us of it. He wants to lavishly pour out his gifts um, that um, we find in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 11. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous power, prophecy, distinguishing between gifts, speaking in tongues, and so much more. He asks us, my people, please receive and believe what is of me and from me, so my will can be done on earth as it is in heaven for such a time as this. Isn't that exciting? You know, uh, prophecy never comes true by osmosis. It doesn't come just because we heard it, it becomes because we walk in it. And so we'll put that up line. And what I was really excited about is the, is the part there too about fruit-bearing trees. Because we've been looking at uh, abiding in the vine. And until we are, we're going to be looking at it. Totally. I just feel God wants us to marinate in this because this is the key uh, to living a victorious life in Him. And uh, so I want to speak a little bit about uh, the enemies of our heart or the things that block the flow of the river of God. Felicity mentioned the river of God and, and Jesus says that We who believe out of our innermost being, out of our innermost beings will flow rivers of living water. And there's things in our lives that often hinder that. So I want to just look at a few of those uh, today. today. Um, I want to read John 15 from verse 1 to 8 again. I'm asking you, please, take this passage of Scripture and the other one that we've been looking at, the fruit of the Spirit, and so on in Galatians 5, and just meditate on it. Meditate on it till it becomes a personal revelation for you. Because information needs to be inspired by the Holy Spirit to become revelation. And my revelation, my personal revelation, my personal conviction that I walk in um, cannot be yours. I can, Im- I can impart... Um, what God's doing in my life, and yours cannot be mine. Because if it's secondhand revelation, if we are, are just living on secondhand revelation, if we're not abiding in the vine, if we're not spending time with God, yes, there's a blessing, and it's like uh, got a few drops of water on us. But when trials and tribulations come, our default will always be to what we know. And so I grew up in South Africa, and we uh, drive on the other side of the road. And uh, if you ever hear a guy speaking in a South African or Australian accent, don't go near him if he's in a car, especially if they've just arrived. Because you here live on the right side of the road, and we ride on the left. So we used to, and I, I'm fully... Don't worry, you don't have to worry about me, I've been here. 20 years, 20 anniversary. By the way, guys, if you are, can't come to the banquet, at 9 o'clock there's going to be a, a, disc, uh, a disco, whatever you call it. It's not actually a rave either, so 
but it's going to be a dance party. A dance party. So you're welcome to come. Bring your friends. You're going to um, have a lot of fun as we celebrate. But um, when you first get here and you're saying, keep right, keep right, and I used to put my watch on my right hand and, and stick something on my ear or something no? so that I'd remember which side of the road to be on. But you'll be driving, you get quite used to it, and all of a sudden you go around a corner and, some, uh, and, and somebody is across the line or something, which happens all the time. And it's amazing because what happens in that, man, in that moment, you default to what you know. So instead of turning right, you sometimes you would turn re- left. And that's what happens with us. We default to what's in our heart. If we don't understand God's love and we mess up, then we default to feeling really bad about it. And we sh- we sh- we, I'm not saying we shouldn't be convicted about it, but the default is God's love never changes. And so in, in, uh, in uh, John 15, Jesus is talking at the Last Supper, hanging with his, his mates. Uh, they still do not fully understand what's going on. But within a couple of hours of this talk... With his disciples, started about John 13. If you want to know some of Jesus' most important words to his disciples and to the church, those were them. It was like being at his deathbed. Like if you go down in the guy says, I just want to tell you this stuff. He's not going to talk about, somebody's not going to really talk about the, see I've started walking like Wesley now. Up in a, somebody's not going to talk about um, the weather or the Canucks. They're going to talk about things that really mean things to them in that time. And so Jesus is in that space with, with the disciples. And the disciples were the genesis, were the, were, was the beginning of the church. And out of that, we see on Pentecost, the church is birthed and so on, in and through these men. And he says this to them, I am the vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. I can't stop on any, every verse here, so go and meditate on it. You already are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Remember fruitful trees, we just heard about that. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You're the branches. If you remain in me and, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And this is the key, church. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says in Hebrews 4, he says, Once more I will shake the heavens and the earth. And he says, So that what cannot be shaken will remain. And the only thing that will remain of eternal consequences in our life is what we have from Him. We can do nothing apart from Him. And I'll illustrate that a little bit better as we go on. If you don't remain me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked and thrown into fire and burned. And we know, church, we can go to the shop and buy fruit, and it looks really alive. And we can... Get a branch cut off and we can put it in water in a house that looks beautiful. And for a while it looks alive. But we know that the process of death, and we're talking spiritually here, 
started when it got disconnected. And depending on how many steroids they pump in your fruit these days, it looks beautiful for a while. How many of you know if you take a a real apple off just a tree in three days, it looks like um, um, it should be thrown away? Just Just a thought. I wonder how we get these beautiful apples in the middle of winter and they look like they were picked yesterday. Anyway. But he says, if you... Uh, and if you remain in me, my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, sown yourself to be my disciples. Why will God give us what we ask for if we remain in Him? Because we will be asking what is in His heart. We'll be wanting God to bless us, so that we can be a blessing. We want to God to, to encourage us so that we can be an encourager because we will sense and we will tap into the very heart of God. And 1 John tells us that God is love. And we'll begin to love each other one. It will start from the inside out. Trying to love some people from the outside in is impossible. Ask, ask uh, <laughs> you know, I can be a grouchy guy to be around. And I know it's the love of God that helps my wife sometimes just to bear with me and uh, with me with you. Because we can be grouchy sometimes and we can do things that hurt each other and we're going to look at that. But if the love of God is in us, and we bring them to our God, He begins to transform us. It's no good saying that's just who I am. No, that's who you were before Christ. Now God needs to work it out of your life. Amen? You see, abiding in the vine is simply this. It's learning the art to be present with God. Learning the art to be present with God. Not only speaking to God, but hearing God. God knows before we pray what we need. But often that's all we pray about. It says, like here, where we hear the whispers that Elijah heard in the midst of the storm. You can read that story in 1 Kings 19, 12. The voice of Moses that he heard when God spoke to him face to face as a man Speaks to a friend. Exodus 33, we spoke about that two weeks ago. The directions that Philip heard when God directed him to one Ethiopian in the midst of a uh, revival. Now that might not mean much to all of you, but Philip went down, persecution had broken out in Acts 7. Philip goes down to a place called Samaria, starts preaching the gospel. Signs, wonders, and miracles take place. It's unbelievable. Demons are being cast out. People are healed. They're getting saved by the dozens. And whilst that's happened, the apostles in Jerusalem hear about it, and they say, let's go and check this out. They go down there, and Philip says, yeah, I'm glad you're here. I'll hand it over to you. And then God speaks to him. He says, now leave that place, and I'm going to take you to another place. And he goes into the desert and meets the Ethiopian eunuch. What is so incredible about that? 
Imagine if revival broke out here. And things were, we've been waiting 20 years, believing God, and God begins to move in power, and everything's going well. And he says, okay, now you guys, I want to scatter you out there, leave this place, or Mike or the elders, it's time for you to move on. I wonder how many of us would say, get thee behind me, Satan. I'm the dude. But he heard that voice, and it was so clear to him, that he didn't, say, he didn't say, are you sure? I mean, after all, I'm the one that started this. No, he heard and he obeyed. And that's what God wants from us. And, and uh, where we're here, where we learn the art of listening to God instead of simply talking to God. Jeremiah 33.3, there's just terrible things going on uh, in Israel at the time. Way worse than what we're in now. And he says, but if you call unto me, I will answer you. And I'll show you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. There was a, 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 a group of Israelites that came and joined J, uh, David in Samuel. I've forgotten the, the chapter. Called the sons of Issachar. And it says this, go and and uh, look it up. They understood the times they were in, and they knew exactly what to do. God told them the great and unsearchable. We need to know what to do, church. We cannot be led by world events, by circumstances. We cannot be led by what's going on, trying to put out this fire and that fire and hold this placard and that placard and get involved in stuff that we should never be involved with. And can I tell you something uh, about politics? It's divisive, and it closes doors. And I just want to say that for this. You might have one political view, and that's great. I'm not against that. Please, I love democracy and all of that. But you might be in a crowd with the exact opposite political view, and you sprout your views, and they just close off. What's the point? What's the point? I'm not saying don't have those discussions, but I'm saying let's not close doors, because there are people in a democracy, normally 50-50, that will have the opposite view. And so let's get on with the king's business. Let's pray for the ones and say, yeah, listen, you know, unless I'm there, I don't really understand what's going on myself. I pray for Justin Trudeau because he's our leader, because God put him there, not because he's a liberal or a conservative, and that doesn't matter what I am. He is a God-appointed leader, and we want him to lead well, and we should have a heart for that, that that young man does well. Amen. Don't you want us to prosper? Amen. So I don't know where that came from, but it's, it's so divisive even in the church. I was with a bunch of pastors and it broke out. <laughs> Different views. And it was almost like a 50-50 split. And eventually we had to go, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not why we came today. And that's why it's so new in my heart today, I suppose. You see where we not only learn the will of God, 
but the ways of God. And there's an amazing Proverbs, Proverbs 4, 20 to 23. Book of Proverbs, there's 31 chapters. One a day will keep the devil away. Amazing, so much in richness in, in the book of Proverbs. One a day, one chapter a day. I loved it. Uh, Mark used to do our, our lead our men's meeting, and we would go through a uh, chapter a week. Well, he says this, My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. This is God. Pay attention and listen for once. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them in your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to a whole man's body. Above all else, whatever else you read in every other proverb or in the Word, this is what I want you to remember. Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring. It is the source of life. It's the source of life. You see, a wellspring talks about the spring, this river. And there's huge significance in the spiritual and the natural of wells. And we may look at that again. I've done this before uh, a year or so ago. But these are one of the significances of, of digging a well. It opens an access to a much larger source that otherwise would never have been discovered. So in the natural, you could be in a desert, dying of thirst, but if you dug a well and you hit water, you would not be subject to the natural circumstances. Neither would your animals, like an oasis or something. So if we dig a spiritual well and we begin to tap into the resources, the supernatural resources of God on a daily basis, even though our circumstances may not change. We are not subject to them. They don't have that hold on us like they did. And it untaps resources. And we are asking God for spiritual resources and so on. And he just says, dig a well, dig a well, dig a well. It's not subject to natural circumstance. And a spiritual well is special. opens up a portal to heaven and unlocks the hidden resources there. They are there to be found. They are hidden to be found. The resources of God. And the way we dig a spiritual well is by spending time in His presence. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Stick that on your mirror and it will get you to pray every day. We spend spending time in His presence, in worship, in prayer, in meditation on the Word. So some Christian circles, meditation has become a bad thing, and people think, well, what is meditation? Well, how many of you worried about something this week? That's meditation. You chewed it over and over and over and over. You got a hold of it, and you couldn't let it go. 
And that's how we meditate on his word. Something jumps out about God's love and say, God, I don't fully understand this. It doesn't make sense to me. And we just chew it and we meditate and we meditate and we meditate. And as we do that, revelation begins to rise up. Because information, the word of God, there are seminaries around the world with absolutely zero um, presence of God in them. Scary to think, but they know the word, those professors. Professors, interesting, Paul says, professing to be wise, they became fools. Those professors don't even believe in God. They don't even believe in the word of God, but they can quote every word because information that is not inspired by the Holy Spirit will never become revelation. And that's what we live on. We live. You ask me how I know he lives? How do I know? He lives in my heart. I haven't seen Jesus personally. I know he lives because he lives in my heart. It's a revelation. It's a revelation that will get people in the Middle East not to deny Christ, even at the point of death, because they know he lives. They have a relationship with him. And that's what this is all about. Spending time in his presence. And that's where we deal with the things that block our wellsprings or the enemies of our hearts, rocks in the well. And I've just got a few here, and there's so many more. And you know the best way, say, Dad, come to your dad. What are the things in my life? So I'm just showing you a few. What is it? Why am I so dry, God? Why have I drifted away like this? And he says, well, let me show you. Let me show you. One of the things that will drop a well quicker than anything is doing things in our own strength. Instead of waiting for the Lord and finding his way forward, his ways. It's unsustainable doing stuff in our own strength. It goes well for a while. We get exhausted. We rest. Go on holiday. Spend money we don't have to rest, and then we come back and we're on that thing. Own strength, own strength. Churches do things in our own strength. I'm challenging on Friday at our elders' meeting. Guys, dig wells. Everything we do here is wonderful and we need it. But if it's not connected to the vine, it's either going to be pruned off or it's going to be burnt. And what happens and why does it dry when we do things our ways and not God's well? We get disillusioned, disappointed, and burnt out, and then blame God. It's not working. Every problem that you have has a solution in God. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Your work situation, your finances, if you've created a huge bunch of debt, and there's consequence of that, and so on. Ask God for the strategy. Confess your sin. Say, God, I need help. If you've got relational problems, work problems, take it to the Lord in prayer. That doesn't mean we don't do anything, but we do it in His strength and in His ability. Because this is what the Lord says in Isaiah 40, 27 to 31. Why do you complain, O Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my cause is disregarded by God? We might 
uh, articulated differently, but that's often where we're at. And God says this, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the earth, of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and in his understanding, no man can fathom. And he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fail. But those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. Eagles soars in the thermals in the biggest storms. Eagles love storms. The bigger the storm, the higher they fly. They love it. They're soaring on wings like eagles. It doesn't mean your circumstance will be gone, but God will you be the ability, the strength, the stamina, the wisdom to soar through them. And it goes like this. And they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. What an amazing promise. Why is going to God when in trouble, and even in my life sometimes, the last resort? I keep asking myself that. And I believe it's not because of my heart. It's because the enemy wants to distract us. Because he knows if we flesh out spiritual battles, we always lose. See, another rock that will stop the flow of God is undealt with sin. And we have all sinned, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God, so relax. And sin is sin. But we need to deal with it if we want to get set free. We need to come to God and ask Him for forgiveness. We need to have a chat to our dad. And if it is repetitive, you've got to ask, Father, why? Why? And there always comes... To one thing to me, I'm fallen out in love with him. Because when you love someone, you want to please them. Like when you first get married, we've got a lot of marriages going on in this church this year and every year. And it's so wonderful to see them, especially the guys, because they want to, they, their wives to have the wedding they want. And they will come and they just want to please them, and you can see that, you know. They... They don't know how to do it, and it's so wonderful to watch. They don't do this, but you feel that in them. Why? They sacrifice. Why? Because of first love. We will do anything for something we truly love. And God wants to be that first love. So just deal with it with God. Don't live in it. We'll get a little bit further, and we'll deal with... um, that a little bit more. Fear. Fear is a big one. Fear of change. Fear of failure. Fear of the future. Fear of letting go and having God have his way. Fear of wondering if God really wants. I wonder this. I wonder that. I wonder that. Jesus says in Matthew 5, don't worry about tomorrow. Seek my kingdom. But there's another scripture in 2 Timothy, 
Timothy was a very timid young man. He was leading a church in Ephesus, and he was about 20. He had stomach problems and all kinds of things. And Paul encourages him about this. But he says this, and he's speaking to Timothy. God, Timothy, has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and of a sound mind. I'm just going to go through these so we can have a response. Another rock is a lack of generosity. Dries up wells. See, God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, Abraham, I want to bless you. And, all, and I'm going to do this for you, and I'm going to do that for you. And he says, you, and I want to bless you so that you can be a blessing. We're to be conduits of the blessing of God. We're to do that, church. And I want to show something to you soon. And what causes that? I have to say, it's more than likely in the Western world for all of us, discontentment with what we have. Discontentment, the, the sin of comparison, and which causes us to eat the seed God's give us instead of planting the seed. So the question is, when is enough enough? We need to ask her, when is enough enough? How many billions more does Bill Gates... Zuckerberg, all of these guys, amazing guys, need. I've got a hundred billion. You don't even need one. What is happening with that money? I don't understand it. I don't understand it and I'm not judging it. I just, I say, God, would I be like that? hundred billion? hundred million million? I don't understand it, but it starts with us. We can't judge them if it starts with us. And we need to understand there that God has a principle. His word never changes, and it will stand forever. And so this is what um, Paul writes to the church in Corinthians in uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 11. Remember this. Whoever sows, now he's talking about money because you've got to look at context and you go and look at the chapter before. He's speaking about coming to Corinth to take up an offering to give to the church in Jerusalem that was under pressure. So it's, it's money. It's not vegetables, although it applies to them too. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Simple principle. So one corn of seed, you get one corn plant with a few. If we keep some of those and sow ten, we get ten. But if we eat it all the time, we are living on seed and not on a buzzard. Because God does give us seed. We think seed's a blessing sometimes. 
Each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give and not reluctant or under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. Now I knew why the Holy Spirit put that in there because there would be people in the body of Christ and leaders that would abuse this and make you feel bad and make you feel like you have to and almost extort money. No, you decide in your heart what you want to do, but remember if you eat your seed, it's your problem, but you decide. Isn't that awesome how God treats us? And God is able to bless you so that in all things, at every time, having all you need, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will also supply an increase of the store of your seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now, this is for our people in this church. If you're a visitor, please. God has an expectation that you stow into the storehouse. Not me. I never look at who gives. I don't know on the tax receipts. I've never, I don't know if you give 10 cents or a million dollars. It's between you and God. And that's how it should be. Because my source is not you. My source is God. Like your source is God. Amen? He just supplies seed in different ways. We have so much in this church, so much that we need to do, church. And if everyone brought their seed into the storehouse, and Malachi tells it, a tithe of 10% of what you earn is God's. Now you can argue... Uh, whether it's Old Covenant, New Covenant, Abraham tithe before the, new, uh, the Old Covenant, 10% is his. Go and read Malachi 3, what he says about that. It's seed to come in the storehouse. The storehouse is where you are spiritually fed. Then there's offerings after that. But the storehouse, if this is your church, this is where you sow your tithe. Not to a missionary overseas. That's a generous offering over it because he talks about tithes and offerings. Now, I'm just telling you what the word says and not under compulsion. Okay? I'm just telling you that's what the word says. And young people, if you earn a hundred bucks and you cannot give ten bucks, how, when you earn a million, are you going to give a hundred thousand? And I tell you why it's like that, a percentage and not a number, because it, God doesn't say, well, I have a hundred million, so I gave a million. No, the widow had 10 cents and she gave one. It's the same. Isn't God so gracious? It's the same. And I've often asked people, why is the argument about should we give 10% or not? Why isn't the argument, why so little? Why does God give us the 90%? And then we live in Canada and we get half it back anyway. It's crazy. Get it in. We are coming into time. Can I have a a picture of the um, first fish? I was thinking of this. Guys, I don't like speaking about finances, but I have to if we're going to see freedom in the house. Now, that's you. 
The glass is the earth. You're a happy little fish. And every day God comes and supplies some food or seed for you. That can change in an instant. And this is not about fear, but I thought about this. This earth is so unstable. I, I've, I've got the um, National Geographic Channel, one of those, and it just freaks me out how many billions of volcanoes and stuff around. Everywhere's in a volcano. I said, well, how did I get to move to this place? You know? Or something. But in Africa, it's a lion or something else. There's always something. But God protects us, and God feeds us. And I'll tell you a story about that. In South Africa, I love birds. I love gardens. If I wasn't a pastor, I'd been a horticulturist. I just love nature. And in South Africa, you have a, a bird called a weaver bird, and they go in swarms. And once a year, they would come across the road from where we lived, and they, there'd be literally a thousand in there, and they'd have their little um, nests in the tree. So I got this idea because I was across the road. I wanted them to come hang out with me more often. So I got a bird feeder, a big one, and I got a packet of bird seed, and I filled it up. And I thought, well, that should last a while. Well... You get a thousand birds zeroing in on one bird feeder. It could literally see. So I bought a bigger bag. So I thought, well, maybe I'll just get loaves of bread, old bread. And I chuck a loaf of spray and it's gone. And I was saying, these birds are going to bankrupt me. And I felt God say, I feed every bird, every animal, and every person every day. Can you imagine? The seed that God supplies for one little bird or for the, all the birds. Can you imagine the food that God supplies? Yes, we've not been such good stewards of the earth, and, and that's another story, and we should be, and, and the supply is getting less and all of that. But that's not God. He supplies for those little birds, and He will supply for you. But we've got to sow our seed, church. We've got to become sowers of seed. And if this is your home, if it's not, please don't bring your tithe here. Please take it to your local church. Bless them. Amen? I want to show you the next one because this is what I thought might happen after I spoke about this. (laughs) I'm out of here. (laughs) Great. Unforgiveness and guilt, huge thing, huge thing. Unforgiveness, not only, and guilt, not only towards others, but towards ourselves. Towards ourselves. We have never received the forgiveness. As far as the East is, towards ourselves. We live with guilt It just dries us up. It makes us not want to serve God. It makes us say, I can't do this. And I did this, my family, my this, that, that. Unforgiveness will dry up a well quicker than any of these other things. What guilt does is makes us, we feel we owe. You can have done something to somebody in the past and you messed up. 
and for your whole life, you feel that you owe that person a debt. But we can have that with God too. We've messed up. And we can be serving Him faithfully 30, 40 years, but we still feel we owe Him a debt. And therefore, we make up the shortfall in overcompensating to that person who normally doesn't even receive it. And you're on this treadmill because you feel guilty of what you did. It could have been a divorce. It could have been anything. It could be you feel guilty for your children. You feel guilty for this. You feel guilty for that. How the heck are we going to hear God? And then you feel guilty to God because you messed up. And it's a treadmill that, that just goes on and on because the sad part of it is no amount of good deeds can take away a feeling of guilt and condemnation. None. You try it. It's just like digging a hole. No amount of giving without a revelation of the sower giving us seed so that we can bless. No amount of giving will make up for the giving that you haven't done if it's through guilt. It's a new day. And we move on from there. Only Jesus can. And John tells us in 1 John 1, nine that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And confession has become a bad word, but I tell you that's a trick of the enemy because confession breaks the cycle of sin. It sets us free and cleanses us from a guilty conscience, and only in Jesus is there forgiveness of sin. When you speak to our dad about it, Dad, I messed up yesterday. I really shouldn't have done that. Can you help me? Sure, my boy. Why wouldn't I? I'm sorry about it. It's finished. It's finished. Unfortunately, sin has consequence. If you rob a bank and you ask for forgiveness, you're still more than likely going to go to jail. Maybe not so much in the world we live in now. But you know what I mean. There's consequences. And we mistake consequences... For, un- for the fact that God's angry with us. Consequences are the way God disciplines us. And discipline is always redemptive. It's always for our good. It's like having a kid. Don't touch the hot stove. Don't touch that plate. They go, dick. Emergency ward. You don't have to tell them again. That's a consequence. And God uses those things. He's not angry with us. He wants to set us free. Confession breaks a cycle, and it's only found in Jesus Christ. I won't read that Hebrews 10, 19 to 23. You're welcome to do that. You see, Jesus came to show us a better way. We read in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no way to the Father but by Him. And Jesus brought His majesty from heaven to turn it into a personal relationship with us. 
He left heaven to restore relationship with, with us, with, for him and his father. He made a way back home to the father. And the answer is not in trying to do good church. We're to come daily in an uninhibited and have an uninhibited conversation with the Father. We come with prayer, petition, and thanksgiving and present our request to Him. And we spend time daily in His presence. And as we do that, our lives begin to change. As we do that, you'll think, hmm. I'm really not doing that anymore. You think, gee, I don't even know when, how, when that stopped. It just happened. We were just set free. And in Lamentations, there's a, a very depressing book in, in the Bible. It's a lament. It's a lament. Don't read this if you're too down except some of it. People believe that it could have been written by Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, weeping over the desolation of Jerusalem. There's a lot we can learn there, and we need to study it. But in the midst of this chaos, the Holy Spirit inspires Jeremiah to write this. In the midst of this, desolation, and it's Lamentations 3, 22, we'll stop at 27, 26, sorry. If we could find that, listen to that. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Another word in the King James it says his mercies never fail. Every day in God is a new beginning. Every day in God. There's new compassion. There's new mercy. And say, God, God is not looking for you to do everything right. He's looking for your heart. New every day. They are new every morning. And I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, and I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope in him and to the ones who seek him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. We have the worship team up, please. I want to say this. That some people, just to set you free, are morning people, and some people are evening people. How many of you know that? So I'm one of those unfortunate dudes in a way. Yesterday I was up at 3.30, I don't know why. Today I just wake up and then 
my mind. And what I was doing for a while when I woke up over years, and I got out of it, I just would lie there, and then the cares of people in the church, the cares of stuff we're doing would start coming there. And I would sometimes be overwhelmed. But what I do now is I get out of bed, I put in some worship music. Yeah, I've got to stop waking up the householder. Deborah finds me from the bed. Can you sit that down? Because <laughs> she's an evening person. So I'm going to bed 9 or 10 or whatever. I'm feeling I need to go to bed. And she's just waking up. That's fine. Just how, how it is. How many of you can identify with that? That's fine. Just make the time. Oh, you don't get up at 5 in the morning. Well, well, you don't stay up over 9, so... You know what I mean? I remember in the early days, they used to put this stuff, pray for not tarrying for an hour and all of this. Guys, it's impossible to do that in your own strength. But sometimes you're coming to God in just 10 minutes and you feel, bam, thank you, Dad. Other times you'll sit there and with worship music and reading or something and you'll say, wow, an hour's gone. That's relationship. And that's what Felicity was talking about. We are not going to see the fullness of God outside of Him and abiding in the vine. Amen? Amen. I'd like to break bread and I'm conscious of time and please don't feel if you've got to go. If you could open the doors and at the back there. But if you can stay, because we spoke about giving and we spoke about a lot of things. But we didn't speak yet about the one who gave everything. The one who loves us so much. I'm a father and I'm a grandfather. And I pray for those kids because I don't know the future is going to be like, but I can't be in fear. God created them for this time to be Daniel's, Joseph's, Deborah's, Esther's in these times. But I often think of it in the context of me sending my son to die for somebody else. I think that would be way harder than me going myself. I don't know how. If you love your children, God loved us so much. And He just asked for so little back. And what He really wants is relationship. And if we get that right, He says, seek me first. Don't seek the stuff and I'll add all that stuff. But be content in God, church. Comparison, there's no end to it. There's always somebody worse off than you. Funny, we don't compare ourselves to them. We might pray for them and feel sorry for them. Break that. Break that. Find your fullness in God who gave His only begotten Son. He laid down His life for us so we could live. And then we have the Son in John, sitting 
washing his disciples' feet, breaking bread like we are, knowing that, that he was going to die a horrific death to the point that when he was in the garden, he even sweated blood and he said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. But not my will, your will be done. God has given us everything and it's all in him. Seek him, church. Lay those things aside. Stop drifting away. God is calling us back. Don't feel guilty about it. His mercies are new every day. And if we begin to dig a well here, if we begin to come out of the overflow of our hearts, I tell you and I tell you, people will come in their hundreds, if not thousands, to life-giving churches that God is raising up across this island and across this nation and across the nations of the world. So, Father God, I thank you. If you just, if you don't mind, bind the heads. And guys, while we do this, I need a, some of the uh, home group leaders and their wives, uh, so on, uh, elders and so on, to please come wait on the table. Father God, you're calling us home. We heard of the prodigal son last week. And when he came home, you ran towards him. You opened your arms. You opened your life. You, 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 you put a robe of righteousness on him, a king, a ring of sonship. You restored everything that he had lost in one instant. And then you threw a party. And you said he once was lost, but now he is found. Lord, I pray that we'll come home to you. I pray, Lord God, that you will fill us with your love, your mercy, and your grace. I pray that we'll open our hands, Lord, not only with our finances, but with our gifts and talents. Arise and shine, church, for your light has come. It's a new day every day. Don't give up. Every day He separates your sinners as far as the east is from the west. Every day He washes you clean. Every day He has a smile on His face because you took time for Him. Thank you, Lord.